Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. So today we're going to be, as I say, taking a detour from the book of Acts. And now we're going to be delving into the book of Judges. Judges chapter 11, if you'd like to turn there with me. And I'd like to ask you a question. Have you ever been misunderstood? You ever been misunderstood? Now, have you ever been misunderstood when you've done something not only with the best of intentions, you know, some, and, and not only sincerely, because you know we can, we can have the best of intentions at times, and, and we can be very sincere at times, but we can be sincerely wrong. But not only with the best of intentions and not only sincerely, but also you've done it right. You've done it right. And yet you were misunderstood. And then furthermore, you were, you were thought badly of in what you've done. Ever been in a situation like that? And you know the challenge of holding your ground. When someone's looking down on you, when someone's looking at you as, a, as the bad guy, and yet you're doing what's perfectly right and proper in the moment. The Bible says that we're not to let our good be evil spoken of. And sometimes you just can't help it. No matter how much good you do, someone sees it as a problem. And as we turn to Judges 11, it's interesting that as we look at this story of Jephthah, at this point in time, looking back on the story, it seems like Jephthah has possibly had a raw deal in the way he's been viewed, at least by many but not by all. So let's read verses 29 to the end, and then I'll kind of just give, fill you in on the context and just kind of give you a bit of background. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed through Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he advanced toward the people of Ammon. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the people of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So Jephthah advanced toward the people of Ammon to fight against them. And the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he defeated them from Aroah as far as Minith 20. As far as Minith 20 cities and to Abel Kiramim with a very great slaughter. Thus the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. When Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing. And she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. 
you are among those who trouble me. For I have given my word to the Lord and I cannot go back on it. So she said to him, my father, if you have given your word to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth. Because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Ammon. Then she said to her father, let this thing be done for me. Let me alone for two months, that I may go and wander on the mountains and bewail my virginity, my friends and I. So he said, go. And he sent her away for two months. And she went with her friends and bewailed her virginity on the mountains. And it was so at the end of two months that she returned to her father. And he carried out his vow with which he had vowed. She knew no man. And it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went four days each year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. Jeff was going into battle. He makes a vow to the Lord. Lord, if you just work this one out, whatever comes out of my house, Lord, first thing is yours. Offer as a burnt offering. He goes to battle. He wins. He comes back. First thing out of his house is his daughter. His only daughter. And he was as torn as as his clothes. And yet he explains to her. And she says, Father, let this thing be done. You've given your word to the Lord. He's avenged you of your enemies. And she goes away and she comes back and he keeps his vow. It's a deep story. It's a an arresting occasion. Even as we read it, we feel the the, the tension, the drama, the emotion. What was Jephthah thinking when he made the vow? Or wasn't he thinking? What was he thinking when he kept the vow? Hmm. Well, in order to understand this properly, we need to kind of back up. Because there are, there are many views on what happened, what actually was going on here. Obviously, we're reading this, and we're reading it some 5,000 years. It's about 1400 BC. So... We're looking at, what, about 5,000 years maybe. And we're looking into a culture that we don't understand. Furthermore, we're looking into a culture in a time that even the scholars don't fully understand and they will tell you. So what in the world is going on here? This brother makes a vow and his daughter becomes the sacrifice. And he fulfills his vow sacrificing his daughter. Sacrificing his daughter? Hmm. 
Well, Jephthah, what kind of guy was he? What kind of guy would make a vow like this? What kind of guy would follow through on a vow like this? If you look back to the top of the chapter, and I'll just track you through. I won't read it right through. We see in verses 1 to 3, Jephthah's early life. He's stated to have been a mighty man of valor. Mighty man of valor, man's man, a guy who gets the job done. No messing, no two ways about it. Furthermore, if you want to take the leisure of backing up into chapter 10 on, in your own time, you'll see that the children of Israel were in a place where they were between a rock and a hard place. They had their back to the wall and the enemy bearing down on them. And they were like, who's going to lead us to face this enemy? They were holed up in Gilead. And so as a nation, they were in a predicament. The Ammonites were coming for them. And they were Scared. Shook. And they reasoned with the Lord. You see, the Israelites' pattern was that they would be faithful and then unfaithful. Faithful and unfaithful. You read through Judges, it's, it's a roller coaster, more downs than ups. These people generally weren't serious until they were cornered, until there was. There was infliction and affliction put upon them. And so again in this situation, they've regained their focus and cried out to the Lord. How often do we find ourselves in that place? How often do we find ourselves in that place where it takes pain for the Lord to get our attention? How often do we find ourselves in that place where we keep going back to the same place? We know the oven's broken, the handle's hot, and we're supposed to use oven gloves. But time and time again, time goes, and we reach for the oven door and get burnt. So this is where Israel were at. And then into the scene steps Jephthah, the mighty man of valor. He was Gilead's first son. And by reason of being the first son, he was the inheritor. He was the heir apparent. And yet, the text tells us that he was the son of a prostitute. i.e. not Gilead's wife. So Gilead played away from home. And he had a son. The son of a prostitute. Now, under normal circumstances, I mean, soap operas are filled with these scenarios, right? Someone's with someone and they go and have a child with someone else. It's like an endless cycle in these. And in, under normal circumstances, it's an issue. But in that culture, it was more than an issue. In that culture, it was devastating. In that culture, it was madness. You see, he was not. As the heir apparent, according to the law, entitled to any inheritance. It's Deuteronomy 23, verse 2 says, No illegitimate child will be numbered among the people of Israel. No illegitimate, born out of wedlock. 
And so Jephthah, first son, son of a prostitute, is named Jephthah, meaning he who opens, or God opens the womb. Maybe it was an unexpected, you'd imagine it was an unexpected birth. And there's so much time I could spend here just camping on the issue of marriage. I mean, thank the Lord for Brother Jacob Brush, right? Amen. So I don't need to camp here. But the tension of being in a relationship and being unfulfilled in that relationship and then facing the temptation of playing away from home. His wife had not bore him a son. Was this Gilead's way? Of dealing with the situation? Wrongly so? Nonetheless, Jephthah is his firstborn. And Gilead's wife goes on to have children. And basically they grow up and run him out of town. You're not going to have any inheritance here. You're not, you, you, listen, you're not from this family. So clear off. And Jephthah goes. He goes. Now, bear in mind, Jephthah was their older. And with the title of mighty man of valor, you can imagine that he could have wiped them all out and said, who's not going to have inheritance? But he goes peaceably. And he goes off to a distant land where he is surrounded by, quote unquote, whatless, as my granny would say, worthless men. And they formed a team, a crew, a gang. And they went out raiding. But don't mistake that for criminal activity. We could get the impression that Jephthah was feeling rejected, victim mentality. Ah, oh, families disown me, throw me out. I don't care. And I don't care for anyone. So, you know what? If I'm not getting it, I'm taking it. If I'm not going to get what's mine, I'm going to take what's someone else's. No, that's not the case. To go out raiding was just a, a term that was commonly used in that time for men that would go and defend settlements. Somewhat mercenary. They'd be like hired hands. And so you'd have family settlements, land settlements where they're under threat and these guys would come through kind of like them old cowboy films when the guns sling ching 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 I, I, I can say Clint Eastwood because some of you might be like might remember them times there if I go back to John Wayne I know that there's only going to be a couple people left with me you know what I'm saying Steve yeah old school and you kind of get that Wild West kind of vision. The gunslingers in town, the hired hand, knows how to shoot a hair's breadth from 55 paces. Pew. That was Jephthah and his guys. And it comes that news of the war reaches Jephthah because the Gileadites, they're in problems and they need help. And the only person they can think of to call on is Jephthah. The one they rejected. So they go and find him. The elders. The head honchos. Go and find him. Jephthah, come. Lead us. We need help. The Ammonites are on us. And so Jephthah turns around and says, what? Okay. And I'll be your head. And they're like, yeah. Verse 10, the Lord will be a witness between us. And you see the word Lord, all caps, the covenant name of God. This is a solemn oath that they're taking before the covenant keeping God. And so them having ratified it before God, he's like, okay then. And he goes. Now, 
we see Jephthah is actually, he's not just a warrior with strength, but he's a warrior with smarts. This brother was a smart guy. And he knew how to deal with diplomacy and negotiation. In verses 12 to 28, we see him send to the Ammonites. So what's the issue? Why are you coming after us? The Ammonites' response, well, Israel took our land. We're coming to get it back. And Jephthah hits, him with, hits them with four arguments. Four arguments that were airtight to the point where the Ammonites couldn't even make a response to him. The only thing they could do in response was muster their troops and beat their chest because there was nothing more they could say. He had them bang to rights. He said, we never argument one. We never took any land from you. We took it from the Amorites. It was never yours. Argument two. Furthermore, the true God gave us this land. So why don't you look to your false god, Chemosh, to give you whatever he's got for you? Now you know that's fighting talk right there. That's like David and Goliath. Who would come and try and defy who? Israel? No. The Lord. Argument free. Furthermore, listen. Just to be reasonable with you. Moab had originally had claim on this land. And Sion, the Amorite king, took it from them. We came and took it from the Amorites in a just war. And even when we did that, even the Moabites didn't come to argue with us and try and, oh, well, you know, you, you, you took the land from the Amorites, but it was ours first, you know? And, oh. So then who are you to come and push your nose in something that's got nothing to do with you? Leading to argument four. We've been in the land 300 years and you never cared. So, as far as we're concerned, you don't have no right now to be coming and making claims on this land. Jephthah, strong and smart. Strong, smart, and sacred. Verse 27. He says, look, you know what? We haven't done anything wrong. So the Lord, Jehovah, serve as judge between us. Let him be the judge. You see, he was strong, he was smart, and he was sacred. He had faith in God's ability to defend his own name and his people. That was a clear and outright expression of faith. You know what? God's going to resolve this. So it's on you. Well, we get a picture of a man who doesn't seem like he would be given to making a rash vow. An impulsive and stupid vow. We don't get that impression from the guy we just looked at. Who was very shrewd. Very calculated. Very astute. And then when we take into consideration the fact that in verse 29. The spirit of the Lord came upon him for the occasion. We'd be like, oh my days. So if this was really an impulsive and stupid vow that he made, would the 
Lord not be an accessory to that vow? Well, he made the vow and he went to battle. What did he expect to see coming out of his house? What did he expect to see, Pastor V? What did Jephthah expect? I mean, the first thing that comes out of my house. So I might have said he was expecting to see his wife. I know I can't divorce her, but you know what, Lord? I'll just give her to you, innit? <laughs> but the interesting thing, it wasn't her out first. She was probably sitting at home thinking, oh, he's back. <laughs> Make him stay there. And certain people have actually hazard, hazarded to say, you know what? Jephthah was expecting to see someone come out of his house. I mean, what else is going to come out of a house? His, uh, his dog. Man's best friend. But there's two things to consider. Firstly, there's the text. You see? Verse 31, it says... Then it will be that whatever, not whoever, comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace shall be the Lord's and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So there's there's impersonal pronouns being used here. Whatever and it being offered. So just from the reading of the text, we don't suggest that verse 31 would incline us to think that Jephthah was expecting a person. Another consideration that we understand from the culture was that in those days it was common in what they called a four-room house for there to be an area, a room space that would be given to the animals. So during inclement weather, it would, it would provide a shelter. It might be like a, a house in a garage if we were to try a modern, modern day equivalent, imagine. And so it's reasonable with that being somewhat of a norm in those days that that was the situation. Some have said that Jephthah was trying to bargain with God Jephthah was trying to hold God to ransom in a manner of speaking. You know how it is when you get in a tight jam. Oh, Lord, please, if you help me out, I tell you, I'll go to church every Sunday, you know, Lord. Please, just, just get me through this one, Lord, please. I tell you, Lord, I, 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 I'll give every week. And we start, we, we, we kind of make those appeals feeling like that it's going to motivate God to be more gracious to us. But it's interesting that what he spoke of being a burnt offering in Leviticus 7 is identified as being an offering that is given in thanks or to underline praise or prayers unto the Lord. And so, there may have been a sense of desperation, although we don't see that in the initial verses. But we do know that the burnt offering, according to the Levitical law, was an offering of thanksgiving and praise. It was consumed whole. It was supposed to be the most costly of offerings because The offering was burnt completely and entirely. Nothing left. Nothing taken away. 
And so even in that, it's a reasonable offering for Jephthah to offer. Now, as I've looked over this, I'm, I've been like, Lord, you know what? My view of this guy is, is really changing. Because I took him to be a proud, impulsive guy who just made a rash vow and was just too proud to back down at the end of it. But my view began to change. So he makes the vow. And yet he keeps the vow. Hmm. Now before we consider the fact that he kept the vow. Let's look at the response of the daughter. Because it's going to help us to understand in what way did he actually keep the vow? I mean, on the face of it, we would just expect that, you know what? He killed her and he burnt her. That's what he said he was going to do, right? First thing out of my house is yours, Lord. I'll offer it as a burnt offering. Well, the daughter's response. First and foremost, we see that her response was actually so impeccable. I mean, a willing sacrifice. This girl obviously loved her father. No doubt she was looking out for him looking out for his return. He probably had servants in his house, workers, other people around. But when he came on the horizon, she was the first one to see him. She loved her dad. And I'm sure with tears in his eyes when he's told her what the situation is. We don't know if there was any long pause. We don't know if there was any head in hands. But we do see that this girl was righteous. She loved her father and she loved the father. Father, if you have given your word, verse 36, to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth. Because the Lord, Jehovah, has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Ammon. A willing sacrifice. That's deep. And so she goes away, verse 39. And she returns, having known no man. And in verse 40, he keeps, in verse 39, he keeps his vow. Now, you might say to yourself, it seems pretty straightforward how Jephthah kept the vow. But actually, there's a little more to it than meets the eye. See, we assume he killed her, he burnt her. It was painful, and yet he kept his word. But there are certain things in the text, and otherwise that would cause us to question whether that was the case would cause us to question whether he did that. Firstly, we see 
The daughters say, in verse 37, let this thing be done for me. Let me alone for two months that I may go and wander on the mountains and bewail my virginity, my friends and I. Now, that's curious. If you're reading the text and you're asking questions of the text, you have to ask the question, why did she want to go and, and bewail or mourn her virginity? I mean, was she thinking like some of us Christians back in the day when we were single, when we used to each ask each other, Did, has God showed you who your wife is yet? Say, no, I don't, I don't know yet, you know, but you better hurry up because Jesus is coming soon. <laughs> and we wanted to get married before the rapture. Was this how she was thinking? Like, ah, oh, no, my end has come and I've not known a man all oh, my days. I think there was definitely more to it than that. Some have said that being his only child, she lamented the fact that she was going to die not, have, not having given Jephtha an heir. She was the inheritor. And if she dies, who then carries on his name and takes on his inheritance? Possibly so. It makes a point in verse 39 of saying when she came back that she knew no man. And again, it, like when we see repetition in the text, we have to take note of it. God don't waste words. And so again, why is it, it underlining the fact that she's come back and she's not known any man? We then go on to see in verse 40 that the daughter of Israel each year went four days to lament the daughter of Jephthah. Furthermore, where did they go? And what did they do when they got there? You got, it's, this is like Agatha Christie, isn't it? Or what's my girl's name? Murder she wrote. Jennifer Lansbury or something like that. This, this is like, who done it? But again, it's quite a peculiar thing. I mean, you'd think, okay, maybe it was just in honor of Jephthah's daughter because she was so valiant and so humble and so righteous that they just wanted to honor her memory in that way. But where would they need to go to do that? They could just do that at home, right? Well, another clue in the text is back in verse 31. Because when Jephthah says, whatever comes out of my house to meet me shall surely be the Lord's, has the same structure as First Samuel, when Hannah said, Lord, you give me a son and he'll be yours. And what Hannah was doing in that time with regards to Samuel was she was dedicating him. She was relinquishing all responsibility. She was relinquishing all um, authority over his life and all the benefits that that would bring because we know that later on in the children's life, they were to support their parents. She was relinquishing all of that and dedicating him in the service of the Lord. Dedicating him in the service of the Lord. And so, we begin to see that actually, Jephthah kept the vow, but maybe not in the way that we actually anticipated or we, we, we would perceive on a 
casual look at the text. Because there are a few commentators who say, look, you know what? Jephthah was a judge. He became a judge in Israel. Jephthah knew the word. When he was making his diplomatic entreating of Ammon, he virtually quoted numbers word for word, verbatim. So Jephthah knew the word. And in knowing the word, he would have been familiar with two things. One, that child sacrifice is an abomination to God. Because fundamentally, if we're saying that Jephthah killed his daughter unto the Lord, we're saying that God received child sacrifice. Now, the Canaanites used to do that kind of stuff with their kids to Molech. And when it came time for the Canaanites to get dealt with, God said, wipe them all out. It was an abomination in the sight of the Lord. So, it's unlikely, understanding the character of the man as we've seen him so far from the text, that Jephthah didn't just ignorantly and pridefully offer this child by way of death. There's a second thing that also informs us with regards to that that comes from the law. In Leviticus 27, we see that there is provision for redeeming a vow. So that which has been committed in a vow can be redeemed by something else. And so therefore, in the sight of God, there would have been no need for Jephthah to unsheath the blade. As we then consider the other aspects of the text that we've already noted, she went and she lamented the fact she wasn't married. And she came back and she never knew a man. It seems more strongly to suggest that she went and lamented her virginity because she knew that she was never going to know a man. She was never going to be married as she was given sacrificially into the service of the Lord at the temple. Where the daughter of Israel would have gone and commemorated her act for the four days. When it says that they went And lamented. Now, I share that view because that's my view looking at the text and considering all of the circumstantial evidence. There are those that are, Jeff, I was a fool. I mean, literally, you see commentators. Rash, impulsive, foolish. But one of the things that actually like that actually stumbled me was the fact that you look in Hebrews chapter eleven, the whole listen, the whole of the valiant faith, the men of faith, Abraham, Gideon, David, Samson. Jephthah. Why would this dude be quoted under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and given accolade? The writer of Hebrews says, I wish I had time to tell you about Jephthah. Among others. Why would he be quoted there? You see, what we do see of Jephthah, that he was a strong man, he was a smart man, he was a sacred man. And ultimately, he was sacrificial. 
He kept his vow to his own heart. Whether, as some say, he killed her, which, in my view, it doesn't stand up. Or she went off and, and lived and served in the temple of God as unto the Lord. Either way, that hurt him. As a father of daughters, I got one that's 5,000, 8,000 miles away right now. I'm messed up when I can't speak to her on Skype. When she first landed and she was there and there was all kind of issues trying to get like connected and working out how this is going to work at time zones. You want to see me? I was so vexed. Frankly, that's all I was, I was to the point where <laughs> we connected on Skype. My daughter's Kian, she's 18, she's over in Bible college for those who don't know. We connected on Skype and I mean, she's settling in, she's getting to know everyone, so she's holding three conversations at once. You know, you know, ladies can do that, right? And I'm there, and it's like half one, two in the morning, because it's eight hour difference between us. I'm tired, and I've been trying to talk to this girl for since when? And she's there chatting to someone else while she's chatting to me. One day I was just like, you know what? I just locked off. And I just, sent a, I just sent a message. Just call me when you're ready. <laughs> I was busted. Missing my girl. This was Jephthah's only child. Look at the character of the girl. You telling me that Jephthah didn't love her? You telling me that Jephthah didn't miss her? This bread has been misunderstood, I feel. I misunderstood him. I had to repent after I just went over this. I was like, Lord, I wronged this brother. I assassinated his character. I slandered this guy. What a man of valor. A man who kept his word to his own heart. And when we look at Jephthah, it would be easy to look at ourselves and think, wow, this guy, he, he deserves to be in Hebrews 11, man. This guy, was, he was serious. He was on another level. Man, I'm a joker compared to him. But when we look at Jephthah, let's not think of ourselves first. Let's think first of Jesus. You see, like Jephthah, Jesus was rejected by his own. You know, Jesus was accused of, of being illegitimate. He was accused of being born out of wedlock. You see that in Mark 6, John 8, 19. They say to Jesus, where is your father? In Mark 6, they say, is this not Mary's son? Brother of Joseph and James. And they don't mention Joseph, his dad. That's like, isn't this? Normally, it's, you know, bar Joseph or bar son of and then the man's name. I was like, isn't this Mary's son? Because they didn't, they thought this guy was, you know, the old school word for illegitimate is bastard, right? Now, I say that hesitantly and, and qualify it because certain people might walk out and think, my man's swearing the pulpit. Before it was ever a swear word, that's what actually it meant. Just like the term for female dog. But we don't need to go there this morning because again, you're already nervous. But that's how, that's how they view Jesus in that derogatory fashion. Rejected. John 1, verse 10. He was in the world and the world was made through him 
and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. Jesus knew what it was to be rejected. He knew what it was to be looked down on. And yet, the word says in 1 Peter, the stone that the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone. Just like Jephthah, the ones that they rejected, he became chief. I'm going to be your leader. Which was his rightful place. And we see in Jephthah a picture of Jesus in the garden. Lord, I've given my word to you. And if it were possible, let this cup pass for me. But Lord, nevertheless, not my will, let yours be done. And he keeps his word to his own hurt. The greatest sacrifice ever. A willing sacrifice. In Jesus we also see, in Jephthah we also see, not just Jesus, but he was a father of a child who he loved, who he sacrificed. And we see a glimpse like Abraham and Isaac of a man who pictures to us a father, furthermore the father committed to his word. He prophesied in Isaiah 53 how his son would die. And when it came to the time and he could have made the cup pass, he didn't. And in that moment, they were separated. Father, why have you forsaken me? As Jesus took upon him the sins of the world. Mystery. It's a mystery. That Christ was separated from the Father. For all eternity past. In this one moment. Separated. And we see the father giving his only child. Keeping his word. Even to his own hurt. And this he done for you. This he done for me. And we see in this situation an illustration of God's love. And so the question is, how do you take that? Do you sit here like many have done and still do with Jephthah and misunderstand what God has done in Christ? Do you take it as well, if it was me, I'd never have done that. Was it a rash, impulsive thing in your mind? Was it something that really does actually in your mind was inconsistent with what ought to happen? You see, the father gave his son. And glorified him. So that you and I can be forgiven. We see the real hero in the story is the daughter. Not a complaint. She went like a lamb to the slaughter, metaphorically speaking. She gave herself willingly in honor of the father. And in return, she was honored.
And so we may have felt misunderstood. We have may have felt hard done by at times when people don't appreciate the right that we do. And yet we're jokers. We don't keep our word. We don't keep our vows. And yet we see a picture of, of a God who keeps his word. His word is irrevocable. He said, my word will not return to me unfulfilled. And he done it for you. Have you submitted to his word? Have you come before him and given yourself in response? You see, we're in need of forgiveness. The children of Israel were there and they were in a situation that they put themselves in. And they were in need of God's help and God sent them a rescuer. And they had to swallow their pride and reach out to Jephthah. And that's where some of us are at today. In our pride, we're doing things our own way. And we're overcome by our sin. And God is saying, reach out to the rescuer who keeps his word. Let's pray. Lord, we just come before you right now and we thank you for your immense faithfulness to us. We thank you, Lord, just for the way in which you are so faithful, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Lord, we don't keep our word. Lord, we can't even get to work on time. let alone do the things that we say, Lord, we make so many promises to you. Oh, Lord, help us out, Lord. And, we'll, and faithfully you deliver us and we just carry on business as usual. And Lord, we see in ourselves our lack. We see in ourselves our sin that so corrupts our lives. And yet, Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus Christ for demonstrating your love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you, Lord. And I pray that today, Lord, you would have your way in our hearts, that you would teach us to trust you like Jephthah, to have faith in you, to know that your word is true, your word is sure. Some of us as your children, Lord, we're still trying to deal with things in our own strength because we won't live by faith. Not just the reliance for provision, but relying on you for everything. All day, every day. We can do nothing of ourselves. Lord, like Jephthah, we need your spirit to enable us to be faithful. And we thank you, Lord, because you have given your spirit to us who believe. And so, Lord, today I pray particularly for those who don't know you. For those who have been holding out on you as if you couldn't be trusted, as if you don't keep your word. May they have seen today that you are faithful. As we see the picture of a faithful man, we know that ultimately is a picture of you, a faithful God. Help us to trust you with all of our hearts. To repent of our hard-heartedness. And to look to you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.